Hi, I'm Teresa Duncan. And I'm Kevin Henry. Welcome to Chew On This. We are excited to bring you our views of current topics in the dental industry and put a little different spin on them, giving you something to chew on. If you need to jump off, be sure to check the show notes for links as well as how to get in touch with us. And now let's give you something to chew on. We are back with another edition of Chew On This. What's up, my friend? Teresa Duncan, it is always good to hear your voice and uh, looking forward to chewing on a few things today, huh? We have a lot. We have a lot to chew on. In fact, we have a whole big survey and it's an official survey. Is this not amazing? It's like the gold. We have the golden corral of information in front of us. Let's dive (laughs) in. I tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. You are so correct. So this is from the health resources and service administration, which is just, it's, it's a government website, but my goodness, that sounds so official. It is a paper called the Oral Health Workforce Projections. And uh, it helps policymakers and other stakeholders, this is official here, make decisions about oral health workforce education, training, and delivery of care, which means that not all of the industry has a clue that this is even around. (laughs) The well-kept secret. So we're trying to blast this out and help you guys out. There's a lot of crazy stats in here that I, surprised me, but then again, didn't surprise me. They study basically the number of dentists and dental hygienists, what's going on with the future of dentists and dental hygienists. And it also talks about supply and demand, which is pretty interesting. And I would love it to have anything about other dental auxiliaries But I think you had said something on a previous podcast about how it's hard to track that because something with the Bureau of Labor Statistics, do you want to explain that? Yeah, it is. And and you're exactly right. And I want to make sure everybody knows about the Bureau of Labor Statistics. It's B as in Bureau, L as in Labor, S as in statistics.gov. And what they do on there is they track a lot of trends whenever it comes to all occupations, including all the ones within dentistry. And they track pay, they track uh, things at a state and national level. So it's one place that I always go to get all of my information. And one thing that they have commented on, and one thing I think that we all know, is that there has been a lot of, uh, shall we say, fluidity whenever it comes to people leaving the dental profession since COVID-19 came around. Mm. And so I I think that, you know, what we're going to dive into is some of these uh, very interesting statistics that you found. I think the dental industry, as you and I both know, there's still a hiring issue. There's still a shortage that goes on right now. And so I I think that we need to be cognizant of while we're talking about the future, all of the issues that there are currently, uh, you know, there are dental practices that are looking for weeks upon end to fill a hygiene position, to fill an assisting position. And they're trying to do it while having a bidding war with the practice down the street for the same person. So if you're a if you're a hygienist or an assistant looking for a position, this is an excellent time, especially if you're in a metropolitan area. Uh, if you're a practice on the other end of that, it's not so great. Mm-mm, not at all. And of course, this is regional. I mean, there's definitely yeah. big ups and downs in different areas. However, I I feel, this is what I feel, like there's a the force, there's a disturbance in the force when there was a disturbance in the force when COVID happened. People were like freaking out. Where's all my people? People leaving, trying to find people. Now I feel like there's just a general acceptance of, okay, this sucks, but it's going to be like this a little bit. So how do we adjust? Are you getting kind of an acceptance feeling like, oh, 
I think so. You know, we keep hearing about the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and you know, I'm very thankful to say my parents just got their second round of vaccines. And, and you know, and so, you know, things like that give me hope. But I can tell you, as far as our industry goes, there are trade shows that are moving to later in the year. There are trade mm-hmm. shows that are deciding to go virtual because they're not going to be able to move. So, you know, the impact that we're still seeing on COVID, not just on Praxis, but on our industry as a whole, I think is very tangible. And for us just to say, well, you know, it'll, it'll be over, you know, thank God it will be. But I still think that there's going to be some ripple effects for what we've been through in dentistry uh, that'll still take some time to even out. So another factor on this, and I, I didn't uh, share this with you, actually, I just remembered it was I just read an article that, you know, COBRA was extended for a year because of the, the pandemic. They had a, a ruling that that was because usually it doesn't you, you can't have it for so long. Right. I think it's only a couple months. And then, you know, so with COVID, because so many people were losing their jobs, COBRA was extended. And COBRA is the ability to purchase your old insurance policy that you were on through your employer, but you have to pay it. And I think it's even 150% or 120% something to cover the administration fee. So it's expensive, but it's better than no coverage at all, I guess, if you can afford it. So a lot of people took advantage of that. So now that that's expiring, I think there's going to be a lot more people going, okay, I need benefits. I need to get back in the game. So I think we, we may see that. I mean, let's be honest. A lot of our people are female, right? Mm-hmm. If they have been able to stay home with the children and do the homeschooling or whatever, because God they had benefits. Them. Yeah, right. They, they had benefits. And so they, they were able to do that, I guess. And now what happens when either their COBRA goes away or the husband's COBRA or partner's COBRA goes away? Now they're going, okay, schools are going to reopen. I guess it's time for me to get back out there. So hopefully, hopefully we'll see more people flooding back into our workforce. I don't know. Yeah. You know, and and you and I have talked on a couple of podcasts about the urban areas, you know, and what's happening in a lot of downtown spaces as far as those who have dental practices right where workers used to be, you know, will, will they come back? I think that there's so much we don't know that's to come, but I think that it's, it's pretty interesting to see. I will tell you a year ago, whenever all this hit, I, I don't think we, we thought, well, you know, a year from now, we'll still be dealing with this. But, you know, it's it's been, and fascinating is the wrong word, but it, but it's just been so incredible to see how this has continued to evolve and morph our industry as well. You know, you and I just did a presentation with, at Yankee Dental about teledentistry, and we see how much that now telehealth and teledentistry has become a big part of things, and what's that going to do for the patient doctor relationship moving forward. So, yeah, there's just, there's just so much to, to chew on, for lack of a better term. And I just talked to a doctor uh, or a, a people who are owners of, a do- of an office in New York, Manhattan. Of course, they're right in the middle of the, the work area that nobody's going to work in. Right, and right. their, their par- practice has pretty much you know, gone from full days to half days. So they're working half the time and the doctor is looking at going out on medical leave just for a, something that, that she's been putting off for a while. And she's actually like, you know, maybe, maybe I just don't come back. Maybe I put my time in, I sell the practice and go because the workers are just not there. And the company she's, I mean, I'm assuming she's looking at the companies who have left and she probably services a lot of them because she's in a really good area. It's just bizarre. Yeah, the urban, urban areas are, have been fascinating. And I hate to say fascinating, like you said, because it, it's not a good thing. But how often do we see huge demographic shifts like this happening, first of all, so quickly and so transparently? So it's, it's amazing. And again, it's something none of us have been through. You know, it's something that our industry 
wasn't prepared for. None of us were. And so I know a lot of this has been adapting on the fly. And I love, you know, going back to, to the personnel side of things, a lot of dental practices had to adapt on the fly whenever all this first started and mm-hmm. furloughing employees and closing down practices. And when do you bring them back and how many, you know, and, and again, as we've discussed, I understand why the decisions were made, but some of those decisions left a bad taste and some mouths that I think still hasn't been erased. And, and I think that we've got to address that elephant in the room, too. Well, and then we have to address a new minimum wage that may be coming our way. I just heard not even 15. I heard 11 has been proposed. And again, this is, uh, you know, as of the date of this recording, nothing has been decided. So, OK, so let's go back to this <laughs> this survey that we've been hyping up, Kevin. <laughs> so. Uh, Let me just go ahead and start with some key facts, and then we can kind of go through it. So uh, this is from 2017 to 2030. I can't even believe that, 2030. I know. Oral health projections. Oh, I just said oral health projections. That's terrible. (laughs) Oral health projections. And of course, we'll link oral health projections, and then maybe we'll write oral health projections. Of course we will. Maybe we'll get more clicks. Who knows? You know, hey. There's a path for a podcast that is daring to go that direction. More than 190,500 full-time dentists across all dental specialties, I'm sorry, and then approximately 147,000 full-time dental hygienists. So that's a lot of dental hygienists, you would think. Wow. So it's that tells me right away that it's not really distributed across everything because, first of all, that's just not a lot of hygienists for all those dentists, I think. I agree. And, and, you know, the numbers that we're going to get into, there's a lot of these that whenever you first showed this to me, made me scratch my head a little bit, but, but, but keep going. Cause I think there's more to unfold with this, this onion here. I tell you, since 2020, I have been scratching my head a lot. Lord, so. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So by 2030, there should be a 9% increase of total dentists, 9% increase. Okay. Now we talked about how in one of our previous episodes that there's a dental school up in upstate New York, who's wanting to add more seats to their dental school. But I think it was like a really small amount that they added. And and we were like, "Uh, you're going to need a lot more than that. (laughs) So there's, I don't know if the schools are going to keep up with this. You hear about schools closing. Are there, I I know there's a school in, in Virginia that just opened up in Southern Virginia, I believe. Are there more? There is. Uh, there's one in southwestern Missouri that is opening up. I believe it's an extension of the University of Missouri at Kansas City's uh, School of Dentistry. We're here, and I believe there's one in Texas as well. I'm trying to think right off the top of my head. But I, I think schools are starting to see that opening up dental schools is a good business. Mm, and so, yeah, so I, I don't think that it's about this is what's good for the market. I think that this is about what's good for business. And we know, you know, you and I have both heard, and God knows some of our listeners know firsthand the amount of debt that you come out of dental school with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, if you can build a dental school right now, it makes perfect sense to bring in X amount of dollars. So people are probably wondering, why is it good business? Your reason for saying that, and I have some thoughts too, but your reason for saying that is what? Why is it good business? I, I think that it's good business because we know how much that dental students are investing in their education. And we're, we know that in today's economy, there are a lot of schools that are looking to diversify and kind of bring out more revenue streams, you know, just trying to use some business lingo here. And so for me, 
outside looking in, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, I see it as a good business model for a school to open up a brand new arm where you know you're going to have a certain amount of students that are paying some very high wages to attend that school because that's what the industry has set as the bar for it's going to cost you this much to become a dentist. Mm -hmm. And so if schools say, well, wait, if we can open that up and people are very interested and we know the growth patterns here as we're talking about, let's make a little change while we're doing this. And, and you get uh, grants, government loans, Absolutely. and then you've got the sponsors that come in because they would love to get a hold of fourth year oh, dental gosh, students. Yeah. So that's, I mean, we, we know there's manufacturers and insurance companies that spend buku dollars at the dental schools. So, okay. So 9% increase. So the schools have to flex a little bit to accommodate that. That means there's going to be a good amount of dentists that could sell their practices in the next little bit, which is good because, you know, dentists going through the pandemic are probably like, well, my plans to retire got spread out. So this is a little bit of light for the, at the end of the tunnel for somebody who's holding on to their practice, but wants to get the heck out of Dodge. So let's look at the growth in specialties, though. This is this was really interesting to me. Okay, pediatric dentists at fifty percent—they're going to grow by fifty percent uh, of current current numbers. Pediatric dentists are killing it because this was what it was 10, 15 years ago. I mean, pediatric dentists has just been exploding. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of teeth in those primary teeth, or a lot of money in those primary teeth, I guess. Endodontics, 17%. And, you know, people didn't go to the dentist during the pandemic. They're going to need those endos. A lot of cracked teeth. Absolutely. Orthodontics is at 16%. I kind of thought that that was going to be a little bit higher. And in fact, the demand for pediatric dentists did increase, but orthodontists actually slightly decreased. Mm -hmm. So do you think these clear home aligners have put a dent in the market? I think it's possible, especially again with what we've been through the economy. I, I think that people are trying to look for, let's say, less expensive options, uh, easier options, uh, you know. And so I, but I was really surprised whenever I saw the orthodontists and the oral surgeons that you're getting ready to talk about, because mm -hmm. to me, if you've got pediatric dentists, it goes hand in hand with those two things. You've got wisdom teeth and, and, and uh, you know, uh, straight teeth that you want to have happen. Right. Yeah, I was a little surprised when I saw all these numbers, actually. And here's another thing, too, is, is gosh, our friends at Smile Direct Club, and I'm kidding because we don't really actually have anybody that we know at Smile Direct Club. We just like to talk about Smile Direct Club. Smile Direct Club has really been hitting the partnerships, the corporate partnerships. Now they're going into Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, because they have a whole line of products, too. They so do. Really, Smile Direct Club is is turning into retail. It's turning retail aligners into its own big animal. And every time I'm on YouTube, all I see are these Invisalign ads, because I guess Invisalign is, is branding themselves again, and they've got teenagers that are chewing on apples and stuff. And there's another girl that's like looking at her like, how could you do that with your aligners? And they're trying to get, I guess, rebrand themselves, not rebrand, I guess, just a new marketing campaign, but they're all over the place. My cousin down in North Carolina emailed me and said, which, uh, what, what have you heard about this system? Or, and she listed like a couple different systems. And I was like, how are you finding this stuff? Like, these are names that we know, but how are you finding this stuff? And it's direct to consumer marketing. Uh, so I've done dental journalism for 20 years. I, I've, I've overseen dental economics, dental products report, uh, you know, doctor by cuspid. But the first two of those were print publications. And I think back to these 200 page issues where we used to slap them down. You know, you could kill a small dog, let alone a fly with them. Uh, you know, but but 
how advertising has changed because now there are more, as you said, direct-to-consumer ads going. And while companies do believe, sure, it's important to market to the dental professional, they also understand now that really that decision-maker so often you can have their mind made up before they even come into the practice. It's like all the, the medication ads that we see about talk to your doctor about, uh, you know, and that's where I think that a lot of this dental advertising direct to consumer has come as well, because they're trying to pump uh, prime the pump, shall we say for a line or, or, uh, you know, any kind of whitening products, whatever it might be, go into your dentist and ask about these. And so it's been interesting for me to see that shift from what, again, what we were, maybe a decade ago to where we are and where we're even going to go, because I see more and more that a lot of companies, and and certainly you can't market cements, you can't market composites to the general public, but there's a, there's a lot of money in what you can market to consumers to try to hopefully tip the scale for them to come in and ask for your product. I think you could market cements because obviously on TikTok, they have found lots of ways to use dental products in ways we've never imagined. I love me some TikTok. I'm just telling you, love (laughs) me some TikTok. You know that. I am in awe of the dental creativity on TikTok. I I think you and I are just like, we could do every episode, we could do a TikTok video. There's always something new coming out on there. And every time I shake my head just a wee bit more, just a wee bit. Listen, there's a reason why there's all these consumer warnings. Like, did you see that girl with the Gorilla Glue on her head? She used, oh my God, have you not seen this? Oh, I've seen it. But it's just one of those things that I'm like, you know, the things that you have to tell people now, it just, it it blows my mind. I mean, honestly, what do you have to, there's only so much space on that little bottle of Gorilla Glue. Why do we now have to say, don't put it on hair? Like, why why does that now have to be worked into the, the writing? I don't understand. Well, we're going to have to have bigger bottles. I mean, that's just all it boils down to because there's so many things that we've got to add on now about don't do this. Don't drink it. Don't eat it. Don't put it on your hair. Don't put it on your eyes. Don't don't put it in other areas of your body that we won't even mention. You know, there's a lot of things that you shouldn't do. Why can't they just write use only as directed or death or dismemberment will follow? Why can't you just write that? Because then people will go, well, I wonder what the dismemberment will look like. And can I get more likes on my, on my social media if I do dismember myself? That could be fun. Well, if it's just a pinky, I think I can do that. That's I mean, right. you know, you've seen, the, the, you've seen the ad with the guy that loses his thumb hitchhiking. And so his hand model career is over. You know, I'm like, he lost his <laughs> thumb. And look, there, you know, so what's the big deal? Well, you could just do pointer modeling. Like that. Like, <laughs> I know you. I know you. Exactly. <laughs> We have gone off the deep end again. All right, let's go back here. So I do think that there's been a dent in the orthodontist demand because of that, but it could come back. I mean, you never know. If there's a market for clear aligners, then there's got to be a way for the dental associations to put out a campaign and look for board certification and do all the lawsuits. I mean, that's been going on for a little bit. So perhaps that adds to maybe taking it back. I don't know. And I think we need to look at it another way as well, is that there are a lot of GPs now that are offering Invisalign. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've got to remember that that is also eating into the orthodontic market, for lack of a better term. And I know that a lot of orthodontists are very, um, you know, territorial whenever it comes to that. But Mm -hmm. yet we also know that in down economic times, dentists often look to see where they can expand their scope of practice. And a lot of times, the you know, Invisalign makes it very easy uh, to become a provider, to learn how to market this to your 
uh, patients. So it, it makes sense in that respect as well. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay, moving on from ortho, let me me just get through the rest of the the dentist. So general dentists should be increasing uh, 9%. Oh, I'm sorry, oral surgeons were on the rise too. And endodontists, of course, going up. We talked about that. Oh, 9% increase in demand for full-time dentists. I thought that was really weird to parse that out because I guess now we see a lot of part-time dentists and I guess now they're differentiating part-time dentists, full-time dentists. How many dentists do you think have gone part-time during all of this? I would be very curious to know what a full-time dentist means. Ah, that's a good point. You know, how many hours is that? But I, I do think we've seen a lot of sharing of time. You know, one thing that I've heard a lot is that, as you mentioned earlier, with the kids out of school, homeschooling, that there have been practices that they have almost split shifts so mm-hmm. that they can help be there for kids. It's definitely something to consider. But again, I'd love to hear that full-time versus part-time definition. Yeah, we should probably dig into that a little bit more. And you know what? I don't know if ADA has put out, I know they have workforce now, but they don't necessarily have like projections like this. I think they probably rely on these, these types of studies. Okay, let's move down to the lovely dental hygiene world here. So by 2030, we're looking at a 20% increase to 176,000 as a reminder in 2017, we had 147,000. Mm-hmm. Now we're looking at 176,000. And, you know, it doesn't help that we have all these articles coming out that hygiene is the best career right. because of the flexibility and demand. That's not great. Um, I mean, it's great for hygienists, but it's not great for hiring offices. And then the other stat that I thought was interesting was there is a 7% increase in demand for full-time dental hygienists. And I got to say, I think, I think that's high. I, I mean, I think that's low. I think it's much higher. I, I do too. And I, I think that that corresponds with what we were talking about with the dentists and the rise that's coming there. But I want to go back to a point you just made, because I think it's really interesting, because what we're seeing is a new generation of hygienists come in that are very wide-eyed about what is going to be. And that it's, as you said, it's a great profession. And it is, don't get me wrong. Of course. But but it's not the profession I think that we read about in, in certain magazines at, that lure you into to this, this industry. You know, I, I, there's a couple of dental hygiene students that are getting ready to graduate that I'm very close to. I've known them all their lives. I mean, they're, they're one of them I consider my second daughter. And she's going to be a hygienist as of May. And I'm so proud of her. But the talk that I've had with her about what she's looking forward to in the hygiene industry, it was a little bit eye-opening for me because, you know, and, and she's getting into it for the right reasons. She wants to help people. She's excited about, about uh, helping them improve their oral health. You know, all the things that you want to hear. But what she's learned during hygiene school, she said that was so surprising, is the business side of dentistry. And how that, you know, you don't just have the opportunity to sit there and talk to your patient about their oral health. There's a lot that has to be done during that hygiene appointment. And so she talked about how it's really an eye opener for her that all this has to be crammed into this 45 minute, uh, you know, appointment. And I think that's really important to remember is that outside looking in, you know, things always look great. But whenever you get into something and you realize that there's so much that needs to be done in order to make the business run properly, in in order for hygiene to be the true lifeblood of the practice, it takes away from some of the things that these hygienists coming in hope to do, want to do. Mm -hmm. And so there's a very interesting balance, I think, between the business side of the practice 
and what these oral health providers are hoping to accomplish whenever they first come into the industry. And, and I, I know that's kind of long-winded, but that's something that I've really been struck by over the last few weeks whenever I've been talking to Lauren about, about her future and, and what she's excited about. You know, I'm fascinated by that because we always hear that in dental schools, they're not taught about business, right? Exactly. So now here we have hygiene schools talking about the economics of an appointment which I can tell you in dental school, they don't talk about cost of goods. They don't talk about hourly, you know, overhead for each operatory. But the hygiene, it sounds like the hygiene school is teaching you have to do this, this and this, and you have to be economic with your time, sorry, efficient with your time. And let me back up. I should say that that it's actually been her externship where she's learned this. Oh, Uh, okay. So yeah, so she's been in school, she's learned and all of a sudden, she's now a hygiene assistant working for this uh, this uh, practice in Oklahoma. And she's learning that there's a lot more to hygiene than just reminding them to floss. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really great. But I think it's also a little jarring uh, because, you, you know, you think you know what you're getting into. And all of a sudden, you realize, oh, it's a little different. There's a different shade on it than I expected. You know, I, I think of my daughter going through physical therapy school and what the quote real world's going to be like whenever she gets out. You know, I think about Noah, what he's going to be doing and what you think you know you're going to be doing versus what you're really going to be doing one of these days. And I, I think that we're seeing these growths about, oh, I can make money. Oh, it's a great uh, flexible schedule. Oh, I'll have freedom to do this. Oh, I'll retire early. I've heard of that <laughs> from a lot of dentists. Uh, you know, and, and I think that all of a sudden they get into it and they realize this isn't what I signed up for. You know, it's the paperwork. I have to say it's the paperwork. And I yep. think it's killed almost it's killed a lot of creativity in most industries. So if you think about it this way, like police, now they have to write for every incident. They have to write like an hour's worth because of, you know, right. they have to do the paperwork. In medicine, you can't just do a procedure. You now have to document the hell out of everything. And then you have to have somebody make sure that they double check it because they have to be able to code it, right? And in dentistry, you know, you can't just do the dentistry. Now you got to make sure that your clinical templates are full and all that kind of stuff. People think they're going to be going out and doing what they love to do, but there's the paperwork side of it. Yep. And, you know, I've, I've heard from so many medical uh, professionals that if they... Somebody asks them, you know, do you want to be a doctor? The first thing they say is, do you like paperwork? Because it's it's documentation and paperwork. And I know some doctors who have said, go be a dentist. And I'm thinking, that doesn't help. <laughs> we have we have paperwork, too. I mean, it's definitely not as crazy as the levels over on the medical side. But, yeah, I think paperwork and documentation really puts a stifle on that love of it. But it is what it is. It's It's the necessary evil for us to operate the way we do. And we don't realize that necessary evil until we really dive into it. You're, you're exactly <laughs> right. And so I, 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 I love these numbers and I, I love that we're seeing growth in these numbers because that lets us know that, you know, our, our industry is going to bounce back from this. Our industry is going to get stronger. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's heartening for me. But at the same time, I know that there's, there's another layer under these numbers as well. Well, and I did pull out some other uh, statistics here, yeah. or and not statistics, I'm sorry, supporting uh, statement. So about that 7% growth in 2030, uh, up to 2030, they stated, these estimates suggest that supply is adequate to meet the demand for dental hygienists at a national le- level. However, the ex- excess supply of dental hygienists at the national level may mask a maldistribution of these providers and shortages at state and local levels. So what they're saying is on a whole, 
the supply and the demand are equal. So we have a good market. But if you look into it, not really, because it's there's probably a maldistribution of these staff members. And we have said that for, we're not bright for saying this. This is everybody's been saying this for a long time. I mean, you've got areas where hygienists don't even consider going into dentists also, for the most part, because why would you go there? And there's whole populations where you can't get somebody to come out and work full time. You can only have them come visit, you know, a visiting dentist. And that's why teledentistry also is just a big revelation for this industry, because now we can reach those children, adults that need us. I think back to the presentation that you and I do about trends in the dental industry. And I think back to that slide that I use in there that shows the how, how parts of the United States have grown through the years. Mm. And Nevada is one of the things that I always, uh, you know, and I always joke about Viva Las Vegas because there's a 257% <laughs> increase. But I guarantee you there's parts of Nevada. Everybody wants to be in Vegas. But do right. you really want to be up in, you know, and, and sorry, I don't know my Nevada geography as I should. But I'm sure there are parts of Nevada that are dying for dental professionals. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's only like really five big cities, uh, Reno, Henderson, Carson City. Carson City. I mean, of course, Carson City. Of course, Carson City. I know that. Of course. Carson. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the other ones. I really don't. I know there's yeah. a Hoover Dam in there, but nobody lives there. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we should open up Hoover Dam Dentistry. I mean, really, you're stuck in line there. What the heck? I mean, you know, you know, I know that there's a lot of places, you know, we, we joke about Florida growing, we joke about Nevada growing, we joke about, uh, you know, a lot of places in the country that are seeing this growth. But again, I, I think what they just said on there is that there are still shortages at the state level because there are certain geographies that pull people in because it's seen as, you know, the South Beach, the Vegas, whatever it might be. But, you know, Enid, Oklahoma, you know, Lubbock, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, some parts of Nebraska, Ogallala, Nebraska. There's a lot of places in this world. Is that a world. place? It is, Ogallala, absolutely. Oh, that's beautiful. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we should go there. We should. Would you like to? I, mean, <laughs> I think that's fine because you know what? If there's at least one dental office there, we can we can teach them. All right, Ogallala, reach out to us. Uh, we'll be happy to work that. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, it, and I think about Wyoming is about an hour and a half from where I am. You know, you go Cheyenne, Laramie, Jackson Hole, then what? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of places that I can think of in the United States that you and I both know there's work to be done there. But if you're a dental hygiene student or a dental student and knowing you've got this debt, especially, are you going to move to Cody, Wyoming? Uh, not unless you're a big fly fisher or something. Right. I mean, yeah. Really. I mean, if, if that's if that's on your list and it's quality of life and you know that, you know, the cost of living is fantastic there and, and you think you can make it work. Absolutely. But you can't. You can't make it work. You can't make it work in a place like that with your student loans being at $400,000. You can't make it work unless you're, you know, you've got some money in your family and God bless if you do, that's great. But that's not the norm. So there are parts of this country that I look at and I go, you're already excluding them as a young dentist because as you said, you can't make it work. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge problem, I think, in our country right there. We talk about the debt that is crushing for these students. And absolutely, I think something needs to be done about that. And I'm not going to get into the politics of that. But while I think something needs to be done regarding that debt and lessening it, I also think that we've got to think about how this is impacting, you know, not only communities, but, you know, tribal reservations. A lot of oh, places yeah. uh, in this great country that people need help and yet uh, they're not even going to be considered because, again, it's, it, it doesn't make economic sense. So you know how some cities will actually do a tax incentive to businesses to keep them there? Mm-hmm. 
I don't know if this is the case. I should look. I really am curious about this. I'm going to look into this. But do you know of any cities or states that do incentives for dentists and hygienists to come? Well, I guess it would be dentists, really, to come and open doors and service the community. I wonder if there's any kind of incentive that's given, like tax breaks, like here's some low cost, you know, zero interest construction financing. I mean, maybe that's the way to go if you're really that underserved. It's a great question. And I'll even take it a step further and think about our friends at Patterson and Shine and Benco. How often are the reps going to these areas of the country as well? So if mm. you're, if you know, and, and I know so much has moved online, I get that. But if there's something that is needed from a uh, equipment standpoint, you know, what is it like to have maintenance done if you're in the middle of Nebraska or South Dakota or Iowa or wherever it might be? You know, I, I think there's just a lot that you've got to think about. And we, we say, oh, all these students are coming out. Isn't that fantastic? It is, but I think that you've got to also see where they're going after they graduate. And, and I'd be fascinated to see those arrows. So it was interesting. There was an office in Southern Illinois that I worked with, and they were probably a good day from a rep being able to come out of any kind of equipment repair. So they had double everything. They had double compressors, double everything. And they had an extra op that they really just didn't use. They used it for storage because if things go down, they can't they're not going to be able to be in business. So the big stuff, they had double mm-hmm. everything, autoclave. They had like a, an old backup autoclave just in case. And that was only because, because they are so rural. So there's yeah. definitely considerations and you can make it work. But I mean, look at the, we talked about the Bush doctors up in Alaska. Absolutely. So they must have, you know, they must be really good at fixing their own equipment. I think you've got to be. And and I want to make sure people understand, I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying rural is bad. I right, mean, right. I, I, I grew up in rural Oklahoma, okay? I mean, I but I, I also know the challenges that are there. And if unless you're from there and consider it home, it's really hard to say, you know where's really great? Trinidad, Colorado. There, there's so many places in this country that are really good if you're from there. But enticing people to come, it's a whole different story. Yeah. So we'll see uh, what becomes the new area for dentists to settle. I don't think it's going to change, to be honest. I think it's still going to be, you know, the big cities, Houston, Dallas. I don't know what's in the water in Texas other than a lot of cold right now. Yeah. But I don't know what's down there other than the dental schools are really saying stay in the state because Texas dentists don't go anywhere. They just stay. With population, I mean, hey, you know, I mean, uh, there's definitely some population areas that, as you said, but, you know, how many of them are going to the Midland Odessa area and out in that, you know, Texas Panhandle area? That's true. That's true. You know, I'm just curious. I was really going back to our presentation on Vegas. uh, Do you remember the first time we heard this and there was an office uh, that was telling us, I don't know if you know Michael Cruz out in Vegas. He's an office manager out there. He was saying that you can't even get people to come out and do a construction bids because they're so backed up. Now, this is before the pandemic. They're so backed up. So if you wanted to build a new office, you basically were like on hold because there just weren't enough workers Mm -hmm. in the state. And even the, the construction companies were having trouble bringing workers into the state. So, yeah, there's all these people. But if you can't get your office built, I mean, it's not like you can throw up a food truck. You know, you can't just throw up a van with all sorts of dental stuff in. I mean, even that's expensive to get a dental van going. It's crazy. We need to have like a Guy Fieri going around to cool dental practices. I would love to do that. You you would too. We've talked about that. If any dental we company to wants do- to have us do that, I would yeah. do that in a heartbeat. Absolutely. You can go check out the clinical. 
I'll go see what's going up in the front. I mean, come on. I people. dig it. Absolutely. Kidding. My goodness. Listen, listen up. I mean, and we would be entertaining. Y'all know that, right? Oh, so. absolutely. We would be <laughs> kidding me. Absolutely. All right. So we have talked about the hygienist. We've talked about the dentist. I really, really hate that they don't include the other auxiliaries, but they just, that's not part of their survey. So we are going to have to go by intuition and hearsay until we know otherwise. Our friends at Dan B. Dale typically release some sort of statistics, don't they? At some point, maybe we should look up and see what's going on with the assistants. They do. I, I would be stunned if there's not a uh, similar growth pattern coming whenever it comes to the assistants. I mean, you know, again, let me remind our listeners, if you didn't already know, the dental assistants already make up the largest group of dental professionals that there are out there. And I don't see that shrinking uh, mm-hmm. anytime soon. Uh, you know, I think if you're going to have more dentists and more hygienists, you're absolutely going to need more assistants. I mean, just just common sense there, I think. Well, I do think the industry as a whole is understaffed because just hearing from the admin side, they're understaffed. So I'm for sure. So I'm sure in the back they are as well. And I just really love when an office, when a doctor has two assistants working for them, the flow is so much better. They don't think about that in the beginning because they're thinking, oh gosh, two salaries. But when you have two assistants assisting one doctor, my goodness, the, the potential is there for great production, great patient care, because you can have the patient in the chair a little bit longer. I mean, I know I'm probably, you know, preaching to the choir, but I just hate that people get stuck on, well, it's going to cost me this much more. I don't think the the concept of ROI is is really grasped that often uh, in some cases. And I, and I think you're exactly right, especially whenever it comes to staffing. Uh, I think that they see it as a uh, liability rather than an asset. And hopefully, Hopefully, that's one thing that will come out of the pandemic is that we'll realize that while we were short staffed during the pandemic, we also weren't as productive as we could have been. Mm. So so my hope is that that opens some eyes. Yeah. And shout out to all the office managers who had to actually act as assistants during oh my God, this time. Yes. Uh, hopefully, you find some people to do the job so you can go back to yelling at insurance companies or patients or whomever, whomever crosses your path <laughs> that day. Fantastic. So we have talked about the survey to death, Kevin. How about we wrap this up? Any parting thoughts? A lot of information to chew on, shall we say. Uh, you know, <laughs> I know you're going to link to it in the show notes. I know that there's going to be some, some things that will obviously link to the BLS side as well. Mm-hmm. I think that we talk often about the business of dentistry and how important that is. And I think that this is a really keen aspect of it is projecting out not only what's going to happen with the industry, but how it impacts you as a business and wherever you are. If you're in the middle of Denver or Washington, D.C. or wherever you are, or if you're in a rural area, how is this going to impact your next three to five years and what are you doing now to plan for it? And I have to say, if you're looking at relocating to Arkansas, beautiful rivers and lakes in Arkansas, just Absolutely. saying. I, you, reach, you reach out to me and I will tell you everything there is to know about uh, the natural state, as we like to call it. <laughs> oh, is that really what it's called? It the really natural is. State. The oh. natural state. Absolutely. Wow. I learn something new every day. <laughs> there <right>. you go. <laughs> okay, dear listeners, as always, uh, we hope that this information is helpful to you. And we'll see you at the next episode. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. And that's a wrap for this episode of Chew on This. We hope you laughed and learned a little. Check out the show notes for any links we mentioned. And don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. 
Feel free to drop us a comment on social media or by email if you have any suggestions for future topics. We'll be back in about two weeks. See you then.